it's so powerful, even how we use the voice when we, you know, you get that feeling in your throat when you're about to speak a scary mm-hmm. truth. You know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about, right? We've yes. all experienced this. But then the moment it, you uncork that and you, you speak it, it's so healing. Like we're not meant to hold on to these things. They're meant to move through us. Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. I am so excited and feel so blessed for today's guest, my dear friend, Saraswati Om. She's one of the people who has had the greatest influence on my life. And she started as my teacher and a healer. And through that journey has become one of my most beloved friends. I'm truly blessed to have her in my life and grateful to be able to share her with all of you today. Saraswati is a teacher. She's a visionary, a mentor, and a community builder. She has taught yoga and meditation for over two decades. She's a master sound healer and is a Crystal Tones authorized distributor and sound healing facilitator. She now resides in majestic Iceland, and Saraswati leads classes, retreats, ceremonies, and workshops all over the globe. She is originally from central New York, where she opened the first yoga and wellness and sound center in her region, and I was very blessed to be a part of. She held the space for 17 years, training yoga teachers as well as sound and ceremony practitioners from all over the world. She has worked alongside yoga master Sri Dharmamitra, and and she is a senior Dharma teacher with over a thousand hours of training and study of the complete Vedic sciences, including Ayurveda and Nada Yoga. Most recently, she had the incredible opportunity to provide sound healing under the midnight sun at the Blue Lagoon in Iceland, one of the most magical and iconic places in the world and truly a full circle moment for her. So welcome. Thank you for being here. How are you? I am well and uh, grateful to be having this time with you right now. Mm, Me too. Me too. So let's just dive in. What was your experience with your emotions as a child? Well, I would have to say I was quite aware and knowing of many things that maybe a, I don't know what's typical anymore, but, <laughs> but a child is not, or is at least not thought to have an awareness of. And So I was always extremely sensitive and had clairsentience, you know, the clairsentience was just turned on the 
past life memories were even turned on. And then the emotions were on, but I think like many of us, at some point in time, probably when I was about maybe eight or nine years old, I had to turn them off for survival sake and um, was really good at being steady and putting the mask on and having control control over my emotions Mm -hmm. because the outcome of expressing the emotional pain that I was experiencing from particular events that had occurred came at a cost. Mm -hmm. And it came at a cost where the adults, the adults weren't able to hold that kind of space that was needed to be held for the nine-year-old. So that sums up my emotional experience (laughs) as a child. But where I was safe to express emotion and had emotional relationship was with nature and my pets. Mm. So interesting that uh, we're happy. This is the question you asked. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Timing is always divine, right? Yes. When... Now, yoga came into your life when you were pretty young, right? Compared to the rest of us that picked up yoga later in our life out of necessity. How old were you when you first started? And was that the beginning or was there something else that came first? You know, I think I feel what came first for me was that connection and that that outlet with nature and animals. I mean, I vividly remember waking up at 5.30 a.m. and sneaking out of my parents' house to ride my bike and go to the swamp or the As a child, as a little child. Yeah. Yeah. So this is where I would spend Mm -hmm. a majority of my time is communion with that. And like I just shared, you know, with the bottling of up of my emotions and those traumatic events, of course, at, at some point, they start to implode. And so with my heightened sense of awareness and sensitivities, around 13, I would say 14, things got to be really difficult. Not only are you in junior high, I never have really done well with systems. <laughs> Like, Mm -hmm. you know, school, school systems, or, you know, just these kind of systems and programs that are put in, in place in society. I really love freedom and adventure and listening to that whisper and that inner voice and being guided by that, even though that these structures may have their places, just the way that they were set up, just never really added up or made too much sense for me. So you know, I had these bottled up emotions, these traumatic experiences that were not dealt with. 
And um, then I was put into junior high school Mm -hmm. with a bunch of teenagers and my sensitivities. And so my anger was coming up and just this awareness of what everybody else was feeling and going through as well and seeing how people treated each other, like how, you know, different peer groups treated, treated one another and, and just feeling all of the pain. And so this led me to in-school suspension many times, (laughs) but it also Mm. led me to seek, like seek, you know, actively seek what wasn't being taught in school, um, which is how to deal with your emotions. And, And so this ultimately led me to my first yoga class. I came in, I saw a book and I had no idea of what yoga was, but something sparked a remembrance or at least a curiosity in me. And I remember going to my first class, I was 15. And I've already had quite a rough couple of years. And I was the youngest person in the class. And I left class that night and I had felt the most at peace I had felt in my entire life, or at least a really long time. And I went home to my parents and I said, I want to teach this to people someday. And my father quickly shut it down (laughs) and just said, what dark Eastern religion are you getting into? And my mother continued to write the checks for me to take classes. (laughs) Mm. Now, just to back it up a little bit, my father now and for many years has practiced yoga every morning for decades. Yeah. So that all, you know, he found his way there. Yeah. (laughs) And it wasn't through me, you know, but that all sorted itself out. And I would like to share a story. Mm, Please. What that experience was like for me in, in junior high, just to maybe bring it all together. I remember the first Iraq war. I remember, um, I must have been in eighth grade, and I remember that night being all over the television, and it was like the shock and awe. I mean, I remember that tagline from CNN or whatever news station was, and I was so disturbed. Like, I was so deeply disturbed by that, of how is this okay to to televise or to sensationalize. That's the word I'm looking for. And then I went to school the next day and I was still really, I was emotionally disturbed. I was upset. I wasn't understanding how we could behave in this way as humanity. And, And I went into school and it was like any other day. And then the fury just rose in me. Like Mm -hmm. there was no mention of it. There was, it was just like any other day at school and I just couldn't comprehend it. And so I decided I wanted to do a a piece sit-in. And so I started telling everybody, you know, second period, we're going to do a piece sit-in or a demonstration in the cafeteria house. And so by second period, I went down and 
the whole school was there. I mean, pretty much the whole school. Not everybody, of course, was there for mm. <laughs> the right reasons. You know, it was like probably like this is what everyone's doing and we get out of class and this is fun. And we all were just sitting. There was no trouble. There was just like sitting, but the entire school was down there and we were singing, chanting. And uh, of course, the dean came by and called my name within minutes. And I was, you know, in ISS for a couple of days. But, but what I re- recall from that moment is there was one teacher, one teacher, and this was my Spanish teacher. And I remember getting to her class and that day, or it was before I was in ISS, and her sitting down to everybody. And, and we didn't have Spanish class that day because she asked us, how are you all feeling? How do you feel about this? Like, what are your thoughts about this? How do you feel? Are you okay? She was the only adult that checked in with us and also opened up dialogue and conversation about what was going on in war. And that is what was missing. You know, that to me is teaching. I'm sure if the school got word of it and I, not anyone dared in the classroom, like make a complaint or, or tell somebody, but I'm sure if like anybody got word of what was going on in that classroom, she would have been, yeah. In her version of ISS on the wrist next hopefully. to you. Yeah. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. right. You know, like it's, it's a pretty bold move, but that was like such a great example of how to hold space and teaching and also just acknowledging feelings and the immensity of what was happening. You know, for most of us, this was like our first experience of war, even though it wasn't on our soil, right? Yeah. Thank you for that story. I've actually never heard that story before. So Mm -hmm. thank you. And I'm seeing how you take these experiences and how you can bring together community in -hmm. these moments, right? Just being able, even if not every single student was there for the right reasons, you were able to lead and create a, a sense of community in that moment to try and help others that may be experiencing these emotions, but no one's asking them unless they have the mm-hmm. Spanish teacher, right? That's so profound, really. Did yoga become a way for you to release emotions from the body or heal? What, what was your relationship with yoga? Why did it become so important? I rarely had an emotional release in yoga practice. I've witnessed that many of times in my classes. But for me personally, I, I can't say that I ever really had some type of emotional catharsis, maybe one or twice. But what I did experience was 
a lot of shaking in my body, a lot of energy moving through the body. So for me, how I feel that this served me in the beginning was a way of regulating my nervous system Mm. without me really understanding that, but just understanding, Mm -hmm. you know, from that first class and me feeling the most peace I had felt in a really long time and just that equilibrium. So in the beginning, that definitely was why I kept coming back was that experience or feeling the nervous system regulated, even though I didn't know that was what it was. I just knew Mm -hmm. I felt good. And I was like, I want to do this again. You know, I felt whole. I felt like myself. And then as I began my studies a little more seriously and like really diving into the different aspects of the science and reading and learning and, and training, it just really became the blueprint of how to live my life. Mm-hmm. And so it continued, you know, that blueprint continued to keep my nervous system somewhat regulated for me to become whole and, and unified, for me to resolve conflicts within myself, conflicts with others. You know, it was really just the, the blueprint of how to cultivate right relationship with the world and, and myself. Now, you had this beautiful yoga center for years and years, and you brought in so many different modalities, like yoga was at the heart of it. And then other things began to pop up. I know from the time that I got to to be there with you, what are some other modalities that you have found helpful in healing emotions or trauma or moving things through the body? Yeah. So I know that this is the same or similar for you, but movement has always been biggie in moving emotions through the body. So although Yoga probably has really regulated my nervous system from flight into right, creating an equilibrium where for me, like moving emotions through the, the body in a more, say, like catharsis actually is different types of movement. It might be dance. It might be lifting weights. Typically, what really gets me uncorked is the combination of dance, weights, and like some type of somatic work, like um, even aerobic type of workout. And I don't even know like how to frame it, but that's where I have those emotional experiences. That's where, right, like the tears will come or the grunts and (laughs) all the awful sounds, you know, come out. And so that's a really powerful tool. And you know, sound is a big, big, big component for me as well, working with sound. And I can remember not only just the sound healing tools, but this also goes back to my childhood of just any time I was in pain or feeling sad. I would use music and sound in this way. So I would 
I mean, I remember swinging on the swing set and singing songs, making up songs about whatever was on my heart. You know, whatever was heavy on my heart is just like making up these songs while I was swinging on the swing. And, and so, but I see children do this all the time. Like now there's these like really funny kind of, um, Instagram videos of, have you seen them of the little kids on the skis or the bike? And they're just having, their parents have them Mm -hmm. wired and they're like having this conversation with them. Like you can tell they're like, they're having this conversation or they're singing this song as they're like going through fear. Right. And no different than, I don't know about you. Have you ever been like walking through the woods by yourself late at night and you feel a little scared and you start singing or making up a a song or Mm -hmm. how some of us laugh when we're nervous, even, you know, Mm -hmm. or, or a little bit uncomfortable. So we use all these sounds, not only to, to again, regulate, but to move some of that emotion out of the, the body. Even when we stub our toe, what's the first thing we do? We start humming, right? Mm-hmm. So we know with the studies of sound and, and humming, the reason why we do that is that it releases oxytocin in the body. So it releases, you know, an, a natural pain reliever. And so using the voice, right? Like I did when I was little and swinging on the swing set and making up songs about whatever. I was already tapped into that. We, we're naturally already tapped into that, every single one of us, to relieve the pain, right? Re- to relieve the pain um, that was on my, my heart. I've heard you say before that, please correct me, that the voice is our greatest healer, right? That's our, that's our greatest sound instrument. So it's wonderful when we can have these instruments like the crystal singing bowls, but our voice we have with us all the time. Yeah. Our voice is the most powerful and unique sound healing tool of all. Mm. You know, I love the alchemy bowls and I love gongs and you can even, you know, sing with them or resonate with them but at the end of the day it's our voice yeah it's like how we speak to each other i mean just you doing this podcast there's such a resonance and the frequency is just so so high because it's coming from this devotional place mm-hmm. right something that you're truly devotional about it's from the heart not so much from the intellect or or the mind these types of conversations which we would call satsang in yoga and this in itself is healing it's unifying it's it's healing it's bringing both of our systems into equilibrium and yeah it's just it's so powerful even how we use the voice when we you know you get that feeling in your throat when you're about to speak a scary Mm -hmm. truth. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about, right? We've all experienced this. But then the moment you uncork that and you you speak it, it's so healing. Like we're not meant to hold on to these things. They're meant to move through us. Mm -hmm. And would you say 
that's the emotion as well, right? That mm, emotions yeah. we're not meant to hold them. We're we're right. meant to, you know, maybe label and identify, understand what they are, and yeah. let them go, right? Yeah, absolutely. And emotion is just frequency. It's just a right. It's frequency. It's vi- it's vibration. I would be really curious to the sounds that come with feelings. Mm. Yeah. Like the sounds of joy, the sounds of anguish, the sounds of grief, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be so interesting. Right. Because I'm sure like, I'm sure, you know, with the science now we start to measure these things. I bet you they would they would definitely measure at a particular hertz or or frequency Mm -hmm. where you could even distinguish sadness from grief and, you know, anger from frustration. And, and let's think, let's think of some of the higher emotions, joy, 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 and excitement. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So, I mean, there's just so, it's all related, but there's so, so much we're going to be able to access greater understanding. But, but first it's like exactly what you're doing. This is the foundation of us being able to name it, Mm -hmm. name, feel. (laughs) Do you, have any idea why it is in our culture and i'd love to know if it's different in iceland if you notice any difference between emotion and expressing emotion but in our culture here in the united states it's like when we feel something hard big scary that makes us vulnerable we just have a tendency to stuff it down oh i can't deal with this at work i can't deal with this here would you is it the same experience in iceland i want to be delicate but i would say it's almost worse Hmm. so from my understanding there's even less words for feelings and emotions in the icelandic language and the culture is more reserved way more reserved than American culture. Mm-hmm. And we're a really small nation. And I, and I believe there's a reason for this. We're a really small nation. And the nature is so raw that it's not easy to live here. Yeah. It's not easy. <laughs> Meaning, you know, in the winter, during some periods of the winter, we have three hours of, of light. And during this, the summer, we have, you know, then the opposite end of things, which sounds delightful, but the weather is very challenging, the wind in particular. Mm. And I believe like up into the last turf house was, I believe, in the early 1970s. So, you know, for instance, my, my beloved, his grandparents, like when they were younger until they left home, lived in turf houses. And, and 
what are turf houses? So turf houses literally is what it sounds like. They're houses that are made of the earth. Like there's an earthen floor and then like a moss wow. and everything lives in this one room. So it's like the sheep that, that helped keep the, the house warm. There wasn't electricity or running water. And so last weekend I was like up camping up north with the family and we were sharing stories of how like Ivor's grandfather and his grandmother used to have to shovel snow out of the house. Yeah. Like, you know, extreme conditions. So yes, mm-hmm. now we, we all have, you know, amazing geothermal energy heating our homes here and, you know, wonderful modern structures, but it was not that long ago that this mm-hmm. is like in their genealogy and blood, you know, to like live on this island. Yeah where you really can't grow much, (laughs) you know? So the weather, the elements, you know, it, it is rough. It, you have to have some grit to um, endure some of the conditions. Right. But at the same time, it's like so incredibly beautiful. We have the best water in the world. We have, you know, right now volcanoes explode uh, erupting. (laughs) You know, I've got to experience so many things here. So I think culturally, it's, yeah, it's different in every culture, but I would say it's even a bit more reserved here. And it may very well have to do with just both here and in America. It may just be through, right, the traumas of our our ancestors, you know, and the hardships that they had to endure that, I don't know if you look, if I look at the line of women on my maternal side, for instance, they had to keep going. They just had Mm -hmm. to keep going. It was just like one trauma after another with the, the men. And so the women just had to keep going and support the family and what have you. And I think, you know, maybe this is the case when we move further and further away from community, perhaps. And I also feel, and I would love your opinion on this as well, of, you know, there's this construct that is really misaligned in that what it means to be strong, Mm. what it means to be strong and courageous. And most often, like, I think maybe the, I believe this is shifting now, but it's typically not vulnerability (laughs) (laughs) and strength, you know, like side by Mm -hmm. side. And I feel the work that you're doing here and Brene Brown and many of us, those two are coming more side by side. Yeah. I, for me, I, also, you know, grew up in a home where vulnerability was seen as weakness, right? Crying happened behind closed doors and alone, right? And now it's like, I have recognized that vulnerability is my biggest strength. And it's what connects me with other people. It's me being able to go to that place inside of myself. And people 
connect with that, right? I, I'm also hearing, I love how much you brought up about the ancestors because from everything that I'm reading and learning and understanding is it's now scientifically being proven that trauma is passed down through generations. So not only, not only are we having to deal and heal with our own stuck emotions and stuck traumas from our personal lifetimes, but now we're also carrying the trauma from previous generations, which the beautiful, I don't want to paint it as all bad, but the beautiful thing is when we heal ourselves, we're simultaneously healing past ancestors as well. So there is some beauty in that. But do you have any feelings on passed down trauma? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's been always there in the forefront. Mm -hmm. You know, some of those feelings I spoke of as a, about as a, as a child and those, even those songs saying like, you know, as I grow older and, and learn a little bit more and experience more, but also hear more of the stories, it's like, oh, well, that makes sense, right? So everything from physical ailments, how they show up in the body with no rhyme or reason, you know, to just feelings, you know, actual feelings that that you can't find the root to. Mm-hmm. And so it's really... For me, like right now, it's like the work that I've been exploring a lot in the past few years is really just removing these programs. Like, is this mine? Like, is this even mine? You know, and removing the, the program and, you know, but at the same time, honoring the ancestors, like I'm, I'm really into honoring the ancestors and that type of ancestor work. As well, I remember not uh, this past fall, I was having to walk a lot because I lost my car in a river. (laughs) Only in Iceland. (laughs) (laughs) Only in Iceland. And, you know, having to walk everywhere. And, you know, it was not an easy few weeks for me for many reasons. It was really humbling experience. And to I'm in a foreign country. And that was like my little bit of freedom I felt like I still had with the events in the past couple of years. And, and so I, I remember walking, I was walking my dog. I was going to an appointment and it was about an hour walk to get to this appointment. And I remember just turning a corner and for whatever reason, all of a sudden I felt this huge army behind me. Like it was just like, you know, I don't know if it was my guides, but I was like, whoa, the, the ancestors are with me. Like they're, they're behind me and they're like walking me. I mean, it was so powerful. And I was so elated at the same time. I was just completely aware of that moment. And I still, to this day, I have no idea why. Why in that moment I had this awareness. I haven't had it again to that extreme. So, I mean, I do often call in especially like in my moments where I'm needing 
help. I often call in the the ancestors. Mm-hmm. What I about love you? that. Yeah, I love that practice. I know for me, a lot of challenges being on this fertility journey. And when I have moments when I'm like, I don't think I can go anymore, or I can't do one more shot, or it's really those times when my reserves are empty, that I call on them. Yeah, I call on them to be with us. So thank you for sharing that. Being in Iceland, and the Icelandic language is a very challenging language, which I don't know personally, but I've known from you that it's a very challenging language to learn. And yeah, with this language of emotions, I'm just wondering if it's so connected to what we're doing. So with Brene Brown's book, and I know you um, have read it as well, Atlas of the Heart, I have just come to understand the importance of language and having words for the right words for the right moment. It's very different for me to say, I'm sad when I'm really feeling disappointed. There's a different energy to that. And Mm -hmm. if I say to you, I'm disappointed, you understand that in a way that saying I'm sad is just kind of like a general blanket statement. And so do you have moments with the Icelandic language that you feel limited yourself just because it's not your first language. So you may not even know all of the Icelandic words for that. Is it a similar experience to being limited by not knowing the emotional languages? Well, first of all, my Icelandic is so... I wouldn't even call myself a beginner. (laughs) Like it's so limited. It's so limited. And even when I try to speak or I, you know, when you're learning a language, you use like just a word, like I may use an Icelandic word and then the rest of the sentence in English, Mm -hmm. the Icelander's ear can't even pick it up because again, this island has been so isolated for so long that their language is untouched. It hasn't changed in like over eight, you know, 800 years. And so they're used to speaking with other Icelanders, not Icelanders, not foreigners who learn Icelandic and have a different dialect. There's only yeah. one dialect. Sometimes they say, oh, the people in the North have a slightly different dialect, but there's really just one dialect mm-hmm. of the Icelandic language. And so their ear, even though I'm like, that's what I said, <laughs> <laughs> they're just not hearing it because I'm a New Yorker speaking Icelandic. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense to their their ear, you know? It's not like us in America where we can pick up Southern. We may have to like listen a little bit more intensely, but we can understand the gist of it, what they're saying, right? So my Icelandic is really not fully there, but what I can share about the language is just teaching. So I'm teaching in English. What a blessing. I get to move to a foreign country and teach in my native tongue. However, because of a lot of what I teach is in Sanskrit (laughs) terminology, and there's many concepts and words that there is no translation with the work that I do, that there is no translation into the Icelandic language, especially when it comes to sound and energy. 
Mm-hmm. And so if I make a description for an event, the host who's hosting my event, the center, whatever, doesn't even have the the languaging in Iceland, Icelandic to translate it. Yeah. And so that's one thing. And then while I'm teaching, I'm really trying to simplify as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, using certain words for muscle groups, no, not going to happen, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? And so I'm really like even simplifying my vocabulary that to such an extent that I'm even losing my larger English vocabulary. Mm-hmm. There's often times where I'm like, how do you say this? What is the word? Yeah. So, and then there's just things that are lost in translation. Yeah. Every day, every day, you know, it's like, am I being heard? Like when I'm sharing something, I'm always like, are they understanding what I'm trying to convey? Is it coming across the right way or is it coming across inappropriately? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so what I'm hearing you say is, is, yes, we are limited by our language, right? And whether mm-hmm. it is, you know, le- learning another language as an adult, or <laughs> it is learning the emotional language, right? When we it, were limited by it. Yeah. But what's not limited is connection. Hmm. You know, more. like, it's not spoken. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are things like we're having connection right now because we're at a distance and we're we're speaking. But even after teaching um, a yoga class or leading a, an experience where there's just periods of silence, there's a connection in that space or that container mm-hmm. that goes beyond the language and and beyond the words. Because we're either all, we're just there. We're either all there for like the same purpose or intention, mm-hmm. even though we might call it different things. And um, we're all there as human. Yeah. Even if I'm leading the class or like we're all in the experience to, together, you know? Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Mm. And then the language doesn't matter. It's like, it's just, it's what we would call entrainment, you know, entrainment and sound. It's like when women move in together and they all start cycling at the same time. It's like there's an entrainment when we come into sacred space with a particular intention, I believe. Even if we're all different levels of yoga experience, like if you open yourself up to the experience and just can drop into just being your, yourself mm-hmm. vulnerable, right? Then that connection happens and we yeah. entrain together. What is the power of these beautiful singing bowls that you, you started bringing into the yoga center and, and then began teaching and training and teaching so many and connecting people with bowls for healing. So I personally, how many do I have now? I have five bowls. Mm-hmm. And they 
are one of my favorite ways of healing. It's a, it brings me grounded. It brings me to my center. I try and play them every morning. It just helps me start my day. Can you share about the bowls? Yeah, the bowls are unique as you and me. They're not duplicated to be, you know, exact. They all have their unique tone, unique color, visual, even though they may be made of the similar elements. Again, just like you and I or snowflakes. But they're made from rare earths, precious minerals, precious gemstones, rare crystals, and rare earths. And they're just an incredible tool. You know, it starts with one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Some people are lucky to, to start with a set. I started with one and then they, you know, quickly just multiplied. But they accelerate things in such a way and provide extraordinary healing through their tones, but also visually. You know, when people see the bowls, they're just like... You know, they have a presence of their own, even before they they sound. And um, I just love working with them, especially in the nature here, but also sharing sound with others, playing playing them with others. And I really have this vision, you know, just like most homes, everybody has a television. Can you imagine if every home had one of these alchemy singing bowls or a set of alchemy singing bowls, right? Because it's like the televisions keep getting bigger and bigger. It's like, can you imagine if every home Mm -hmm. had a set of alchemy singing bowls and what the consciousness of the planet could shift to? Yeah. You know, think of what we project with quartz crystal on our television screens and the programming that goes out in that way in all the homes around the world. Can you imagine what a set of bowls could do in setting the intention of while you're playing these bowls, how you're feeling while you're playing these bowls, right? That sound current and how that could be a totally different program that goes out into into the planet. So that's the vision I hold is, you know, every home <laughs> that has access to having a television, right? Like has a, a crystal singing bowl in their home. I love that vision so much. I can't, oh, to be a child or even not even a child to have been my middle school self into early high school. It was just a really challenging time for me and to have had a tool to help to heal myself, right? Would be, would have just been so profound in my life. Uh So I'm with you. Let's, let's get this in every home. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, let's finish up with some rapid fire questions. What is your favorite book? Bhagavad Gita. Mm, Enough said. Yeah. What are you currently reading? I'm actually going to this again and again because I'm teaching it, but it's the Kundalini Tantra by Swami Satyananda Saraswati. Ooh. 
Okay. I'm going to have to add that to the list. (laughs) What is one thing you know for sure? To listen to the inner whisper. Mm, I love that. To listen to the inner whisper. I also wrote down a few quotes from your Instagram and one of them <laughs> that I love that I loved was the healer exists within each of us. We have the power to heal ourselves. Mm-hmm. I love that we don't have to go somewhere. We don't have to go to a church and have a, you know, someone else communicate with the divine for us. We are our own. So those were your words. <laughs> mm. And do you have a favorite quote or poem, anything you would like to leave us to ponder on? Yeah. If you can't do it with love, don't do it. That's one I have to return to a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just such a good guidepost. It's such Mm -hmm. a good guidepost of what to do. You know, when you're in that place of what to do, well, if you can't do this with love, or should I say yes, or should I say no? Should I commit to this? Should I not commit to this? Is this in alignment? Is it not in alignment? Well, if I can't do it with the power of love, then don't do it. And that is, I believe, from Bhagavan Das. Hmm. Yeah, if you can't do it with love, then don't do it. Okay. Thank you. I will include links of how you can connect with Saraswati. Her Instagram is at saraswati.om. And if you feel called to know more about the singing bowls or anything that she's, or Iceland, she leads retreats in Iceland as well. If you're feeling called there, please reach out. Is there anything else? Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you. You're just such a blessing and a really special friend and just such an important part of my life. Mm. I learned so much from from you and um, I'm just really excited to be a part of your podcast. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you're ready to dive deeper into your own emotional expedition, I invite you to join me in an intimate eight-week virtual book study of Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. And in case you're not quite ready to join the study, I wanted to share a free offering that I often suggest to people as a little bit of a compass to get them started on their emotional journey, the meditation to alleviate stress. You can find the meditation and the book study linked below. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you're sure to never miss a single episode. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.